All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. Title of the message this morning is simply for his glory. This last phrase, as Pastor Dave introduced last week, is simply with the help of of the Lord and for His glory. And this is our, our last message in this series. There will be no more. Um, well, I guess, pending I, I get through all the content this morning, but, but we should be able to do that. I wanted to do just a quick recap by way of considering its implications, this series, application. Um, as a pastor, elder that teaches and preaches, it's always kind of sad to see a series come to an end, right? I mean, you think back on um, all that we've gone through, the, the content that has, has been presented, uh, the scripture, scores of scriptures in this more topical series that we've gone through. We've seen really just a broad, sweeping um, defense, if you will, for covenant membership and the content that, that the Lord has, has led us to include in this. But as we have said from the onset, this covenant uh, membership series, there's, there's nothing inspired about the words in our covenant. But there certainly is something inspired about the scripture that is represented in our covenant. So if there's one takeaway that you have as we often will, will read our, our covenant out loud as new members uh, come and join, as we uh, join and, and observe the Lord's table. Oftentimes, we will, we will read our church covenant at that time as we consider one another in that time of, of coming to a time of communion. But looking back, I pray that this series has been helpful for us all, no matter really where you're, you're at in your relationship to Liberty Hills Bible Church. For those that are covenant members, I, I want to point out three, hopefully, applications or priorities that you've seen come through. For those that are already covenant members, I pray that it has been simply a good time of remembrance and reflection, uh, that there has been a, a spirit of, of resolve that has, has come about as a result of reviewing in such granular detail, this, this covenant that we uh, ascribe to and commit to one another in the body. And I wonder if it's caused you to consider how you are actively today, uh, in the past and in the days ahead, how you will relate to each other in the context of this body. Uh, for those that are not covenant members, I pray that it has been also for you a good reminder of simply considering God's plan and purposes for you in covenant membership. I pray for all of us that we saw God's primary means of grace towards us in this life, that that, that is the church. His primary means of grace towards us in this life to get through times of suffering and trial and difficulty and, and temptation, seasons of, of loss and uncertainty, but also seasons of of joy and rejoicing, seasons of, of blessing. Um, no matter what season we're going through, God has given us the church to do life together with. 
earthly structure, the old saying, four walls and a steeple. We now have four walls. We don't have a steeple, though. Uh, but that's not a church, right? It's, it's not a building. This is, again, why we have chosen for this season, as we enter into a new building and all that will come with it, we know that the church is not a building. The church is its people. The church is the bride of Christ, of which Jesus Christ is the head. No man, no group of men, no group of leaders, nor a congregation is the head of this church. Only Christ remains the head of this church. And so as we look at Scripture and we desire to be faithful to the headship of Christ here at Liberty Hills, I pray that we have simply been overwhelmed with the beauty of the church. That as you can imagine, uh, an, an earthly groom that simply stands typically at the front of the sanctuary and as his bride comes down that center aisle, uh, the look of, of amazement and awe on that groom's face can uh, not be mistaken. He is deeply and immensely in love with his bride. As we think back on Ephesians chapter number five, you'll remember in those biblical family roles of husband and wife, we remembered that Christ, as the groom, what did he do? He gave of himself for his bride, literally giving of his own life. This is how much Jesus loves the church. And if Jesus Christ loves this church that much, I wonder if we've considered our relationship with the church and covenant membership, I wonder, are we equally loving the church to that degree? Are we pursuing this church as a, as a groom pursues his bride? Are we sacrificing and loving and supporting and helping and building up the church, the bride of Christ, as Christ has done already for her? Christ gave of his own life to redeem her, to save her. I pray that we'll simply see the church in all of our flaws, that we'll see this beautiful bride through the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember Ephesians chapter number four, verses 11 through 16? We've read it a number of times as we've gone through this meaningful membership series. Paul writes and says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. Do you, that beautiful picture of the body of Christ. This phrase jumps out to me towards the end of that passage in Ephesians 4. When each part is working properly. <clears throat> when each part is working properly. That's, that's me, right? That's, that's you. This is the body of Christ. Individual covenant members understanding that we have an active part in the health and the vitality of the body of Christ. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I wonder as we've gone through this covenant membership series and as we've considered all the scripture, all the content, gone through our church covenant in in the most granular detail, I wonder, have you been challenged with your role as a covenant member? Are you working properly? Am I working properly within the context of the body of Christ? And friends, this is what this series really was all about. Understanding our role, our purpose, how God has equipped each and every one of us with a gift that he desires us to deploy within the context of this church. You have been gifted, whether we believe it or not, you have been gifted with a specific gift to meet a specific need in this body. It's for a very specific reason. And so I wonder, have you been stirred up towards those realities? I pray we have. Friends, I wonder if we are content sometimes in just playing church on Sundays. And in doing so, what are we, what are we uh, settling for? We're settling for building our own little earthly kingdom that we call church, pretending to be the body of Christ. And we pursue that own little kingdom for our own selfish purposes and reasons. But friends, I pray as we come out of this series, we need to pray as Christ did in his prayer and teaching the disciples to pray in that Lord's prayer, let your kingdom come. Christ said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. This is what this series was all about, understanding that the body of Christ is just a small little sliver of the the kingdom of God that is visible right here in this earth that is designed to display his glory and to point others back to the Father. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. This is the purpose and opportunity of the church for us as the body of Christ to put that on display. God's kingdom comes to this earth and it is made visible primarily through the local church, the body of Christ. This is a beautiful, a beautiful reality. And the glory of God, as we move on to the content of this morning's message, the glory of God is made most visible in this world when the body, the church, collectively says simply, let your will be done. No agenda, no desires or preferences over another, just simply saying, God, we submit to your headship and let your will be done through our church. Wow, what God can do in and through a church who has that type of demeanor, that type of disposition to one another. Let your kingdom come. Let your will 
be done. It is through this act of submission that the Holy Spirit activates the church and unleashes this church to simply go and fulfill his commission of going and making disciples. It's through the body of Christ. This is what he has chosen as his means to spread the good news that Jesus saves. This is the primary means of which God fulfills and completes his redemptive plan through the history of mankind. It is through the body of Christ, the church. So friends, there's much at stake in us understanding the church rightly, understanding the church biblically, and understanding how we relate to one another in the context of this Church, so when each part is things in and through his bride. So the question is, am I working properly? Are you working properly? And I pray simply by God's grace, he has shown us maybe just a little bit more clearly how we all have a part in this body. So as we bring this series to a close, we draw our attention to the objective of, of all this discussion and teaching that we've had over the past th- few months, the question might come to your mind, why spend all this time? And why focus so much time on meaningful covenant membership? How does it relate now to, with the help of the Lord and for his glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us what? Everything at all times should be done for the glory of God, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, we are to do it for the glory of God. Not our own self, not our own purposes, not for our own name, but for the glory of God. And so we know that 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it's all-inclusive, every area of life, every relationship, every interaction, every choice, decision, thought, emotion, reaction, it all follows under this umbrella of doing all to the glory of God. And so there's an intentionality that's present here in this last phrase. I wonder, are we doing church? Are we being the body of Christ for the glory of God? When we come on Sunday morning, are you looking to fulfill God's purposes for your life in coming and being a part of the church? Are you looking to simply come and being served, coming to sit back and hear some polished sermon and and certainly some worshipful songs because you enjoy that? That's just what you do on a Sunday morning? Or are you actively understanding that God has something for you? God desires to work in and through this church, in our community, in our context. Why? For what purpose? For his glory. Have you heard the phrase before? For king and country. I'm not talking about a contemporary Christian group. Have you simply just heard the phrase, for king and country? This phrase came about in the the First World War. It was a slogan that became popular. It appeared on postcards sent by men at the front lines to their families. It quickly appeared on official war propaganda, recruiting posters. They even layered it in for commercial acts. Today on countless war memorials all across across the Great Britain. Often this phrase would be chosen by families that lost a loved one to sum up what they had died for on tombstones, 
on headstones were these words ascribed for king and country. Simple. This phrase is concise and quite accurate. Those men, they served and many of them gave their lives for king and country. And in a similar sense, the life of a covenant member, the life of a follower of Christ, a disciple, a believer, whatever term you want to ascribe to one who has placed their complete faith in the finished work of Jesus, the purpose of that Christian, that individual can be summed up in the phrase, for his glory. We exist, we serve, we live, we die. Everything we do is simply what? For his glory. With that said, let's remind ourselves the importance of understanding what exactly we mean by God's glory. We just mentioned 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The Westminster Confession reminds us that the man's chief end is to simply glorify God and enjoy him forever. So in scripture, as we we look at the actual word glory, what does it mean? Why is it important? How can we better understand this idea of doing all to the glory of God? With the help of the Lord and for his glory, we will commit to covenant together within the context of the body of Christ. And it really comes from three different Greek words throughout the New Testament. Most notably, we see the word doxa, which literally means glory. We have another word, megaleo. This carries more the idea of, of splendor. And third, we have this idea of uh, this word kleos, which means more broadly, fame attained through good deeds. So glory defined in a most simple and biblical perspective means this. There is a high renown to honor. There is honor that is won by notable achievements. It is the magnificence and beauty of the Lord. This is why God created the world. This is why he created us as mankind to simply bring him glory. Looking at our passage here in Colossians chapter number one, follow with me as I read verses 24 down through 29. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There are so many passages that we could run to when considering the glory of God. 
There's so many different scriptures that highlight this reality over and over again, but I want to point out just a few nuances of this passage in Colossians chapter number one, and we're also going to be looking at a number of other passages as well. So the first point I'm going to call our attention to this morning concerning the glory of God is this. God's glory is seen in and through suffering. God's glory is seen in and through suffering as we seek to understand God's glory, as we seek to wrap our minds and hearts around this idea of doing all to the glory of God, we have to come to grips with this reality that God often maximizes glory in this world through suffering. This seems counterintuitive. These things these seems, uh, to be in conflict with one another, but God's glory is seen in and through suffering. Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verses 16 and 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You see, God uses suffering this side of eternity to maximize his glory in this world. He uses suffering in the lives of his, of his children to point others back to himself. I wish God maybe had chosen another means to do that. But we can trust in his sovereign and perfect plan that yes, it is often through suffering that God's glory can be made most known in my life. Have you been there? Maybe going through a season of suffering now, a hardship, a burden, can be the source of, a, of great disappointment. Not only disappointment, but discouragement. Not only discouragement, it can also bring about feelings of hurt. Feeling, God, have you, have you abandoned me? And we, we have allowed some of this uh, worldly philosophy of a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel to slip into our minds and our understanding of our relationship with God, that if, if God loves me, then my life is going to be what easy? If God loves me, there's going to be wealth, there's going to be ease, there's going to be an expanse of, of my name. When Christ called his disciples in his earthly ministry, he said, if any man comes after me, he must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. We have an example in our loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who walked the road of what? Abandonment. Who walked the road of betrayal. Who walked the road of suffering and trials and temptation. Yet was faithful. God has chosen suffering to be a primary means by which we can display the glory of God in our lives. The loss of a loved one, expected or unexpected. 
the loss of a job, an unfavorable diagnosis at the doctor. Have you been there? The list goes on and on and on. God can and will use suffering in our life to bring himself glory. Why? Because there's an incredible opportunity for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ that how we respond in the face of suffering reveals the degree to which we are submitting to his plan and purposes for our life. It may be difficult. There may be uncertainty. There may be questions of why. But ultimately, the follower of Christ will submit to the sovereign plan of the Lord and said, if this cup can pass from me, please do so. Lord, let this, let this cup pass from me. Is that not the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Garden of Gethsemane? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it was through Jesus Christ submitting to the perfect plan of the Father that we have the plan of redemption before us. He did go to a cross as God had ordained before the foundation of the world. He did shed his blood. He did atone for our sin past present and future. And he did give us the hope that whoever places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. He did go to a tomb. He was buried. He did rise again from the dead on the third day, defeating sin, death, and hell. That all happened through what? A journey of suffering. This reality that God uses suffering to bring his glory, it brings us to this reality that we have to understand that my life is not my own. So if the Lord in his wisdom chooses to allow a moment, a season, or even a lifetime of suffering, I can rejoice, as Paul said, in those sufferings. I can have hope. I can't be sure that my life, the life that God himself created, is being used just as he intended. Yes, friends, even in our suffering. So as we go on a journey this morning to understand the glory of God, I, I had to start with the most difficult aspect of God's glory, that it comes many times to the conduit of suffering. I can be sure that my suffering is not meaningless. My suffering is not meaningless. God has a plan even in those times of suffering. We're going to watch a, a video a little bit different than, uh, than we typically do. It's a song by Shane and Shane entitled, Though You Slay Me. About the midway through the point of this song, John Piper uh, preaches a segment of a broader message in relation to suffering and God's perspective and his glory in it. As I prepared for this message, God brought this song to mind. It ministered to me greatly. Over the past year or so, I lost my dad uh, coming up on a year uh, in June. And this song has been a song that I have clung to that I know has been special to my mom. I know many of us here in this room, we could go row by row. You have gone through your own seasons of suffering, your own difficulty, your own loss, your own trial and difficulty. And friends, this morning, we need to be reminded that God's glory can be maximized in and through even the hardship of suffering. Let's watch this video. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
affliction momentary not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there but all of it is totally meaningful every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. 
don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car screams into the sidewalk and takes her out. Don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Now you slay me Yet I will praise you Now you take from me I will bless your name Though you ruin me Still I will worship Sing a song to the one who's all I need I'll sing a song to the one who's all I said in Philippians chapter 3 verse number 10 Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that's an incredible testimony and desire that Paul had to know the Lord, not in the glory of heaven in relationship and hope, but to know his Savior in the midst of his sufferings, the midst of the loss, in the midst of the uncertainty. Paul desired to know Jesus in a way that I pray we, we can someday get there, but this is an opportunity for us to consider God's glory is seen in and through suffering. So as we understand God's glory in its most basic sense, we, we must be ready and we must expect. And by his grace, I pray that we can rejoice when suffering comes and knocks on the door of our life. So the application is what? Don't hide from suffering. Don't dodge it. Don't loathe those seasons of suffering. Don't allow yourself to become spiteful towards those moments, those months, and those, those years. Rather, we're called to embrace them, for it was our Savior who walked the same road before us. And this is why James could say what? Count it all joy. Friends, do you remember, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trial because it's there that God does his deepest and greatest work in our lives in conforming us to his own image. 
So God's glory is seen not only in and through suffering, but God's glory is seen in and through salvation. Going back to Colossians chapter number one, Paul says to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the glory of this mystery? Which is Christ in, in you. Aren't you thankful that God in his providence allowed Gentiles to be grafted in? Aren't you thankful that we are a part of the people of God, that salvation has been offered to us. So Paul goes on to say, it is him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. God's glory is seen in and through salvation. Why? Because salvation at the core is the gospel's most glorified when his son, Jesus Christ, is lifted up. When the gospel goes, goes forth in this world, God is glorified. He is glorified in and through salvation. Oh, that the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would never grow dim in our lives. Do you remember, friend, do you remember the grace of God that was poured out to you, that was poured out in your behalf in and through Christ Jesus do you remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God being rich in mercy? Do you remember that God's glory is seen most clearly in the salvation of souls this side of eternity? Because it is the miracle of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his son being lifted up, that God and his glory is maximized in this world that we live. This truly is a mystery, is it not? That God, the creator of all things, would save us? Is it not a, a, ministry, a, a mystery that God would, would reach out to, to us sinners, those who have rebelled against his plan, who have chosen our own way, have chosen our own wisdom? God in his grace and mercy would pursue us that good shepherd who left the 99 and, and went after that, that one wandering sheep? Are you amazed by the glory and the majesty of salvation? Friends, God's glory is maximized in this world as his redemptive plan continues to unfold generation after generation. And, his, and in his good pleasure, he has chosen to save me and to save you and to save all those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior. So friends, how do we display the glory of God in salvation? That's, that's a one-time event. How do we go on displaying God's glory in salvation? Well, friends, it's this way. Let the words of the gospel... Be on our lips. Let the message of the gospel be lived out in our interactions, in our homes, in our relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our coworkers, with our boss. Let the gospel permeate every crevice, nook and cranny of our heart and our life that literally every interaction is, is soaked with the gospel that Jesus saves 
Let our hearts, let the heart of the gospel, excuse me, be seen in our compassion and love to those that the Lord brings across our path. Those that don't look like us, talk like us, act like us. Those who may be on the other side of the political spectrum. The gospel's presence. They don't see any labels. They don't see any other identity but Jesus Christ, a follower of him. This is how God continues to get the glory in and through our lives, through the gospel. Do we remember Philippians chapter number two? I'm just going to read it. Don't worry, Dave, I won't preach it. It's coming in the series, right? I already called this passage, right? No? Okay. Philippians 2, the most beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, some could argue, in all of Scripture. Just listen and let these words and this picture of Christ just resonate in in your heart and your mind. Paul says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, And on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the end of the day, God is glorified through the person and work of his Son. Not only when his Son came and lived out his earthly ministry, but his Son is also glorified in us when we model that Christ-like mindset, that Christ-like spirit. God is glorified when we attempt by his grace to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. When we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, when we take on humility, when we look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others, when we have the same mind, the same love, being of full accord and of the same mind, God is glorified in and through salvation because it is only a redeemed soul that can live as Christ did. His work of salvation was meant to be shared. It was meant to be visible. For sake of time, I'm just going to introduce this third and final point as we consider that God's glory is seen in and through struggle. God's glory is seen in and through struggle. Paul says in verse number 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully 
works within me. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season you will reap what you sow. For this I toil, struggling, effort, spending, and being spent all for what? The sake of the gospel. Paul was willing to empty himself so that others could see this gospel, experience this gospel, know this gospel. And friends, we have to remember that God's glory is seen in and through struggle. It doesn't always feel like we're on the path of progress in our Christian life, does it? Pastor Dave talked about this so clearly last week when he talked about that phrase, with the help of the Lord. Are you thankful for the help of the Lord? Amen? Are you thankful that we don't have to go through this world by ourselves, that we have the Holy Spirit, that comforter, that paraclete, the counselor, who, who is before the throne of grace right now with making groanings that, we, that cannot be uttered, making intercession before the Lord on our behalf, even when we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, we've been given the Holy Spirit of God. Do you remember this phrase in Colossians 1? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ is in us, friends. And so no matter whether we're going through seasons of suffering or seasons of struggling, when we're battling sin and the cares of this world, when we we think that, hey, this well-worn path, it's just we can't find victory over it, God is there. The Holy Spirit is there, and the body of Christ is there with us to help us through those seasons. And as we remember that God's glory is seen in salvation, we can reflect back, and we can remember who we were before Christ, and we can remember, even in insignificant ways, the way that God has changed us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. That work of progressive sanctification, day over day becoming more and more like Jesus Christ and less like the world. This is a work of God's grace in our life. And as we commit to join faithfully together with the body of Christ, the church, that's not some secret sauce or some silver bullet or some pill that makes us holier than thou. But what it does do is it joins us with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are along that path and that journey of life, who have experience and testimony and can sing the praises of God that though you slay me, yet I will praise you. So friends, the glory of God is at stake within the body of Christ. I wonder, are we working properly together? As we close out this series today and we move on to the book of Philippians in the days ahead, I pray that we won't forget the significance, the urgency, the intentionality that God has towards us in joining us together with a local body of Christ. All of it being done for his glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just this season that you've allowed us to go through our church covenant to reflect on just your perspective, your mindset of the church. And you have loved it so much that you gave her your own son to redeem her, to shed his blood and to give his life for the church. And we thank you that you did that work. 
What does that mean for us today? I pray that we would understand it rightly as an incredibly significant priority that should be in the life of every believer. This isn't about being a card-carrying member of some earthly society or club. This is about us being a part of a body of Christ, a living organism that you and your sovereignty and your providence have, have joined all of us together in our own backgrounds and experiences, age and diversity. Father, you have brought us all together to be the church, to be Liberty Hills Bible Church. And I pray that you would use this church in an incredible way that can never be traced back to one individual or leadership, but you would just do an incredible move in our community as a result of us and our church simply saying, God, we, we submit to your purposes. We want to be a church that glorifies you. And I pray that you would do that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.